Chapter 1. Masculinity and Human Need by Don Neufeld Ever since I took an Old Testament anthropology class at Canadian Mennonite Bible College in January 1985, the Hebrew word nefesh has remained in my awareness. Professor Waldemar Jansen told us that this word, used 754 times in the Old Testament, is generally translated soul. He said that, among other things, nefesh conveys a sense of humanity's relationships of dependency with creation and on the creator. This dependency, or we might even say neediness, extends beyond the biological to our relationships with life itself in our sense of personhood. The biblical text speaks of inherent desire or longing that seeks fulfillment or completion. Scripture affirms this need as positive and life-giving dynamic in human existence. The significance of this word has become clearer to me now, more than 30 years later, as I have reflected on men's sense of self and expectations around masculinity. As a social worker and a therapist, I have been struck by the breadth and complexity of human existence, by its great joys and deep sorrows, both of which engage my interest as I focus on men's stories. When I broaden my perspective on men to include my own life in the lives of the boys and men who have been part of my life, I recognize the complexities of need and fulfillment that thread through our experience. I see the greater clarity, the challenges men face as we navigate expectations and expressions of masculinity. In From Violence to Blessing, How an Understanding of Deep-Rooted Conflict Can Open Paths to Reconciliation, Vern Neufeld Redekop, professor of conflict studies at St. Paul University in Ottawa, develops a theory of human identity needs a framework for understanding the deep emotions and strong motivations that characterize the human quest for identity and the role of these emotions and motivations in conflict. Human needs in their universality, considered from a developmental and social engagement standpoint, go beyond minimum requirements for biological existence. The core components of meaning— connectedness, security, recognition, and action inform our sense of self. According to Redekop, although the needs categories are universal, the particular things that satisfy these needs are specific to our culture, values, and experience. As young children, we depend on our caregivers, usually our parents, to define how these core development needs are met and our brains are highly plastic as they wire together the neurons that grow in response to stimuli. In childhood, when caregivers are available and attentive, and our environment is relatively peaceful, our core needs are generally satisfied, and we experience relative safety, contentment, and joy. In contrast, chaos, trauma, and neglect create distress, and are the roots of multiplicity of mental health challenges as we develop through childhood and into adulthood. Our self-perception arises out of an accumulation of data from sources within, intuition, senses, thoughts, and without, messages from family, community, religious leaders, media. Although these identity needs are universal and not gender-specific, 
culture and the values that are associated with how these needs get addressed come with highly gendered expectations that from early on differentiate male and female experiences of life. At times, intentionally and explicitly, and at other times inadvertently and subtly, parents, siblings, extended family, neighbors, teachers, coaches, religious institutions, and the media communicate and reinforce acceptable standards of behavior for boys and girls. From the color of his bedroom furnishings to the way adults respond to him, compared to his female toddler counterparts. When he falls and cries, messages accumulate that define for the growing boy what is acceptable and unacceptable in his preferences, in his behavior, in his emotions and expressiveness. Powerful forces shape his values, nurture his internal picture of acceptability, and police his compliance with particular behaviors. These forces prescribe the nature of the need satisfiers he should pursue. Many of the messages anchored in culture, time, and place, help give structure and predictability to life. His identity, gained through living a life of integrity, productivity, and play within a family and community, provides meaning, belonging, security, a place in this world. From the earliest chapters in the Bible, the unfolding story of humanity is characterized by a stubborn refusal to accept God's invitation to a relationship of trust and dependency to a life lived within God's good intentions for creation. Adam and Eve, spurred on by the serpent's crafty manipulation of their perceptions of needs and fulfillment, are convinced that God is holding back on them, and they seek to satisfy their desires by choosing another way. Genesis 3. According to the narrative in 1 Samuel, God's people insist on having a king and an army in order to be like the surrounding nations, a move that reveals their unwillingness to rely on God to lead and protect them. In order to win them over to the truth, God condescends and even integrates these developments into the continuing story of God's call to them to be a faithful people. Ultimately, what is demonstrated over and over is the foolishness of human attempts to define our own way over against the wishes of a loving God. The results are tragic. In a similar way, much of what defines masculinity in our society are desperate and distorted attempts to meet core human needs. Though the needs are legitimate, the means used to meet those needs are too often out of alignment with the intended ends. Again, the results are tragic. In what follows, I draw on Redekop's categories of universal need as a way to consider characteristics of healthy and unhealthy masculinity. Action In our society, men are often defined by our activities, especially by our employment and our play. The world of employment for many men not only occupies a significant part of our daily lives, it is also a hallmark of our identity. We are known by our occupation and are respected by our ability to gain and hold a job that enables us to support ourselves and those who are dependent on us. We pursue education, monitor the economy and job trends, and maximize our employability and exposure in order to land the right job and secure our future. 
In years past, many men took up these adult responsibilities as early as possible, and they continued to carry them for many years. But changes in the economy and trends in employment now mean that this security is elusive and many more men are joining the part of the workforce that is more volatile, unpredictable, and therefore unsettling to a self-image that values this manifestation of male responsibility. The job market is also a function of the economy that, by its very nature, privileges and rewards some at the expense of others. While some men excel in this realm and find ways to contribute to their families and the larger community, others are grounded down by unjust systems, poverty, and exclusion. Still others, because of various forms of disability, are marginally employable at best and thus lose access to the identity that comes from this source. Especially for those of us who enjoy a prosperity that allows us to spend time in activities not devoted to meaning basic instrumental needs, play is another arena of masculine identity formation. Whether in athletic and recreational pursuits or in hobbies and interests, men fill significant amounts of time and spend inordinate amounts of money chasing their preferred pastimes. Many of these pursuits are life-giving to boys and men, contributing to health and personal development, expressing competitive drives and a quest for excellence, accomplishment, camaraderie, and creativity, while providing entertainment and spectacle for others. Boys and men generally are oriented to doing and fixing. From earliest stages of their growth, they receive messages and are given tasks that encourage development of skills and endorse effective problem-solving, often in the context of helping others and at times involving significant risk and sacrifice of self, boys and men receive accolades and honor for achieving positive ends that are demanded of some of them, conscripted military service, and readily offered by others, chivalrous deeds of sacrifice. What is a source of healthy identity for men may also entail hazards and can become oppressive when weighted heavily by certain expectations of masculinity. When satisfying work become workaholism, boundaries between self and work blur, and men compulsively extend their commitment to their work to the detriment of their well-being and that of those close to them. Jobs may become a diversion to avoid something they see as less desirable. Workaholism is especially insidious because it is often identified with productivity, dedication, and sacrifice, and it receives social sanction and copious reward. One effect is that, statistically, boys and men do the riskiest work. Assumptions about men's duties and their relative disposability of boys and men contribute to a situation in which men account for approximately 92% of workplace deaths. Play for men is often highly competitive and at moderate levels motivates accomplishment. Too often, though, it pushes men into risky choices and leaves them broken. Foundational to competition is comparison, and comparisons create fragile frameworks on which the egos of boys and men are suspended. Such competition may demand blood and sacrifice, even to the point of putting life at risk. Messages about masculinity propel pursuit of glory and prestige, setting standards for success and acceptability and 
punishing with shame and ridicule for those who do not measure up. Boys and men are tested for toughness and courage, and limited regard is given for the gladiators that end up broken or dead. Action, as a way to prove oneself, especially when other components of self are compromised or under threat, is a prerogative our culture gives to men. Many sectors in our society, fueled by a vision of masculine honor and pride, tactically permit or even valorize the ramping up of power demonstrated in direct action or threat of action. Patriarchal assumptions produce templates of permission and expectations that drive men to express power in ways that mark them as masculine. Sociologist Michael Kimmel has developed the concept of aggrieved entitlement. Ultimately, when one's assumed rights are threatened, one's aggression toward an available scapegoat can escalate from self-righteous mocking to violent rage. The characterization of men as people of action more than talk or relationship limits a broader, richer envisioning of the lives of men and boys. As important as action is, the faulty belief that men are less capable of softer relational skills dumbs down expectations, inhibits nurture of boys as relational beings, and relieves men of challenges of stretching their default position to include vulnerabilities and complexities of human connection. Actions that inform healthy identity can also become merit markers that reward those who perform well and in acceptable ways and crush those who do not measure up to prevailing standards of masculinity. Recognition Closely related to action, especially for men, recognition is the component of self-identity that places our well-being in the hands of others. Humans generally long to be valued by those around us, especially by our family and friends. The quantity and quality of that recognition feeds our souls, and we rise to opportunities to impress others with our personalities and our abilities. Warm and supportive response from others, even a smile or a kind word from a stranger, inspires a sense of belonging and being valued bringing out the best of our humanity as we reciprocate with similar recognition of those around us. Mutuality of recognition and valuing supports of our sense of dignity and self-worth, of the significance of our existence in this world, of the uniqueness of our individual expression of humanity. It inspires our pursuit of goals, soothes our pain, and leads us to welcome the stranger. Recognition by our intimate partners is an especially longed-for and powerful stabilizer of our human hearts. A set of characteristics is valued in the members of each social environment, and contravention of these values usually leads to criticism, distancing, and even exclusion. Early on, children strive to comply with expectations that lead to affirming responses from parents and other important people in their lives, and to avoid the frowns or punishments they incur when they stray. Although the complexity of this compliance-contravention dance evolves around our lifetimes, no one is exempt from the effects of the ways those around us recognize us. This powerful influence in our lives provides healthy instruction in learning to get along with others and live in harmony with our human community. 
Masculinity as a set of values and behaviors is a prescriptive lens that determines our value as men and forms how we are recognized in the world of human interaction. As a broad vision of possibilities, the expressions of maleness represented as masculinity are a helpful template to support the development of values and behaviors that can be life-giving. As boys watch their fathers and other men in their lives, they learn what it means to be a man and to emulate behaviors that bring affirmation from others. As their own impulses resonate with positive displays and expressions in other men, they yearn to embody what is valued in their family and community, and this impulse is reinforced through positive recognition. This need for recognition plays a powerful role in enhancing human life, but inherent in it are combustible elements for men who fail to achieve the recognition they crave. Recognition can be merit-based, and failure to reach acceptable levels of merit or to receive recognition for what we believe we deserve can crush our sense of self. Masculinity itself can be seen as a performance, with markers defining what men must achieve and maintain. If one is exposed as lacking in key areas of masculine prowess, or for many the dreaded identification with some feminine characteristics, example, throwing like a girl, the effect can be shattering. The resulting shame and humiliation can deflate all sense of self-esteem and hope, and those who experience it may become self-destructive or resort to unhealthy coping through addictive pursuits of isolation from others. The resulting shame and humiliation can deflate all sense of self-esteem and hope, and those who experience it may become self-destructive and resort to unhealthy coping through addictive pursuits or isolation from others. For too many men, in increasing numbers, suicide becomes a way out. While some men turn inward or away from others in their shame, others react by escalating their defense of self through the inflation of their egos and demonstrations intended to elicit appreciation from those around them. Terence Reel describes this phenomenon. A common defense against the painful experience of deflated value is inflated value, and a common compensation for shame, for feeling less than, is a subtle or flagrant flight into grandiosity or feeling better than. A soothing of this sense of failure through gaining acknowledgement from others can ease this angst. But failure to gain that acknowledgement leads to ever-increasing attempts to achieve, demand, or even compel recognition from others. In an often repeated pattern, men employ escalating amounts of pressure, intimidation, and eventually violence to win recognition from others. This dynamic underlies a significant portion of violence perpetuated by men who are seeking recognition and reacting to perceived threats to their selfhood. Pervasive messages about the respect men should expect from this world fuel much of the offense men feel about the perceived lack of recognition. These messages suggest that men are entitled to deference from others, especially women and people below them, in position or power. If they assume that the context for gaining value is a zero-sum game in which losers leave with nothing, men may posture and clamor for recognition in a contest that pits them against each other. 
When a critical sense of self rides on this pursuit of recognition, and society gives permission and even honor to men who express their bravado aggressively, we should not be surprised when violence is the result. Ultimately, a man who perceives that he has failed to gain recognition in the socially acceptable ways, and who is deeply wounded by rejection, although often unable to name or acknowledge this wound, begins to find justification for punishing the sources of the offense or anyone representing that wounding. The deeper the pain and offense, the greater the violence he believes is warranted, and his enraged mind sees as inconsequential the collateral damage to bystanders or those who attempt to prevent him from carrying out this vengeance. Given the vulnerabilities and sensitivities of our sexual selves as humans, such men may turn to sexualized violence as particularly attractive tool for humiliating and punishing those they perceive as a threat to their sense of entitlement, to respect, and for building up their egos by conquering others. These dynamics play out individually and collectively. Together, men pump each other's sense of entitlement and offense, inciting each other to prove their worth and value and punishing offenders. This collective response can include punishing men who challenge or undermine group standards of masculinity. The Brotherhood holds great power of recognition and marginalization, with attendant sacrifice to maintain inclusion. The alternative is to be willing to go it alone or find another reference group able to provide the needed recognition. Security Personal physical safety is a basic and easily understood need and is something that humans share with all created beings. Protection from external threats to our existence is a matter of survival. For men, the traditional role of protector of others who are more vulnerable has been a source of honor. A massive industry exists to support the human quest for personal and collective safety in its many dimensions, and we highly value and fiercely defend our security. Traditionally, the primary jurisdiction of men, this world of power and posturing has been an important proving ground for qualities associated with masculinity, and it's an arena in which millions of men's lives have been extinguished. Whether in protecting against threats in the natural environment or against human enemies on the battlefield, men have offered themselves out as chivalrous concern for others to secure their own privilege and survival and in pursuit of the recognition gained through bravery and sacrifice. The adulation given for courage and heroism is an intoxicating draw for boys and men. Human security, though, is much broader than physical protection from injury and death. Human existence requires meeting physical needs for shelter, food, and clothing, and for emotional and psychological security. Community, family, and individual well-being entails respect for human rights, including rights to think independently, gather with others, and practice one's religion. As we have moved from basic sustenance, and survival in earlier eras of human existence, our broader expectations about security of persons have required greater exercise of ingenuity and initiative. 
Men have pursued the expansion of human life to all corners of the globe where they have sought to create conditions in which their dependents can thrive. In a world of limited resources, security for one group has often meant scarcity for others, and men have traditionally been tasked with defending their group's advantage, even when it has meant maiming and killing outsiders. This role, repeated through thousands of generations of men, has molded a male identity that is ingrained and persistent and underlies a male propensity to use force. We won't attempt to sort out how much of this propensity for violence is innate and how much is the result of formative messaging, but the reality is that reliance on aggression and violence is integral to the masculine culture. Whether arising from noble impulses to advance our species or from less noble drives to protect privilege for self or compatriots, perpetuating violence in a quest for security for some undermines security for all. Connectedness According to the attachment theory, strong bonds with caregivers from the earliest stage of human life through adolescence are indispensable for the genesis of a healthy self. The interactions of dependent children with responsive caregivers nurture connectedness, dependability, and trust, allowing them to explore their surroundings, secure in the knowledge that their caregiver will be there to protect and sustain them. Out of their attunement to their children, parents offer love, encouragement, support, and instruction, increasing their children's confidence, success, knowledge, sense of meaning, and ultimately, assurance of their values to others. When this context is healthy, they emerge from this incubator of development as strong and independent adults with a richness of identity, a knowledge of self as separate from but interconnected with others, and an ability to form healthy relationships and join in collaborative activities of life in community. While we may assume that such nurture is more important in the lives of girls and women, boys and men are no less in need of connection and no less able, at least at birth, to experience healthy connection. Societal assumptions about masculinity and about differences between boys and girls leads to subtle and not-so-subtle carving out of the very dimensions of humanity in boys and men that make for healthy connecting. As is documented in Terry Reel's I Don't Want to Talk About It, a book that I recommend to many men who come to me for counseling, studies indicate that from the moment of birth, boys are spoken to less than girls, comforted less, nurtured less, Passive trauma in boys is rarely extreme. It is, however, pervasive. Real continues. Boys become men by lopping off or having lopped off the most sensitive parts of their psychic and, in some cases, physical selves. The passage from boyhood to manhood is about ritual wounding. It is about giving up those parts of the self that do not fit within the confines of the roles. Truncating these aspects of experience stunts the development of emotional intelligence in boys and men and sets them up for relational chaos and wounding. These experiences further reinforce aversion to vulnerability, that elusive though essential ingredient in human closeness and intimacy. Too often, lacking skills required to form and maintain healthy relationships, and despite being taught that they should 
not depend on others for their well-being, men live with the confusing reality of their longing for connection with others. These natural yearnings struggle to find expression in relationships with other men and women, both in friendship and in more intimate forms. Norms delimiting acceptable expressions of affection between men make showing warmth awkward, which creates a conundrum for men who find themselves attracted romantically to other men. Historically, societal condemnation of such relationships enforced in law, secular and religious, and vigilante justice have pushed gay men into the margins, into denial, and ultimately for many, into suicide. These societal sanctions also lead heterosexual men into fear of being identified as gay were they to develop close relationships with other men. They fear the optics of often stereotyped emotional and behavioral displays that could make them targets of scorn and even physical violence. Boys and men are schooled in a set of expectations and entitlements that are to characterize their intimate relationships. Whether these scripts are internalized through role modeling and messaging by parents and other adults in their lives, or perhaps with more impact through portrayals and media, boys enter teen years and young adulthood pumped up on hormones and full of anticipation, feeling natural and healthy impulses to connect with an intimate other. Variable in personalities, abilities, and confidence, boys carry internal longings and social expectations that propel them into the world of romance and connecting. The traditional moral frameworks that guide these activities have developed in a patriarchal context, and the attendant ideals are applied and enforced unequally for men and women. The result is a situation that involves both privilege and precariousness, for young men. Assumptions about male dominance and the centrality of genital sexual expression skew these pursuits towards conquest, scoring, and status. Presumptions of entitlement, combined with a sense of shame surrounding failure to prove one's masculinity in this area, can trigger desperation and even violent attack on any, usually women, perceived to be the source of the humiliation. The limited emotional palette characteristic of immature masculinity and a dearth of socially sanctioned supports and outlets leave many men struggling in relationships. Confronted by the relative emotional and relational strength of women, the outcome of female socialization or the variabilities of emotional health on their partners, men strive to build their relational edifices on foundations that are often precarious. Empathy that ability to genuinely feel with another human by entering into their experience, is sometimes in especially short supply as a result of the curtailed emotional development in boys and men. With this relative lack in their relational toolbox, many men are limited in their ability to be sensitive to others, and they operate out of internal impulses without regulating effect of the feedback of others. Relational struggles result in feelings of insecurity, loneliness, embarrassment, shame, and fear that, combined with limited ability to tune into and name their feelings states, leave men emotionally distressed and lost. Reticent to seek assistance that would demand vulnerability, many lead lives of quiet desperation, 
as Henry David Thoreau once put it. The wounds resulting from neglectful or traumatic relationships in childhood and an accumulation of struggles associated with efforts to reach healthy outcomes in platonic and intimate relationships leave many men troubled and searching for ways to soothe their pain. They turn to readily available substances, drugs, alcohol, food, and activities, gambling, risk-taking, porn, sex, and even rage to medicate their hurt and regulate unacceptable feeling states. The resulting addictions, much more prevalent in men than in women, bring only fleeting relief and high costs for men and those around them. Addiction specialist Gabor Mate says, The first question is always not, why the addiction, it's, why the pain? A further testimony to the critical linkage between addictions and men's relational challenges is the growing understanding that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. The route to healing is through development of healthy relational skills and nurturing healthy connection with others. Meaning. As we turn to the next category, meaning we begin to see how interconnected the five dimensions of Vern Neufeld Redekop's human identity needs framework are. Action, recognition, connectedness, and security each inform meaning and are informed by meaning. Although the components are universal, the needs satisfiers are specific to particular groups and even individuals are flavored by a vast array of influences. The beliefs and values that we associate with male experience, collectively known as masculinity, occur on a wide continuum, and in a myriad of ways they support healthy emotional and relational existence or undermine it. Even the term healthy is value-based, and the meanings people give to the word differ widely. The relative weight given to various ideas about masculinity inform parenting and general socialization which provide a growing boy with the meaning he is to take on his life as a male. To varying extents, male children and youth consciously or unconsciously accept these values as their own, and these values are in turn manifested in behaviors and create meaning for them. In the last half-century, in many sectors of North American society, the traditional meanings given to male existence have been under significant critique, and resulting changes have unsettled previously accepted expressions of masculinity. Old assumptions and beliefs about male dominance and privilege have been directly challenged by women seeking equality and by marginalized people who have exposed the injustice perpetuated especially by white male power. Globalization and accompanying social and economic trends have brought a blurring of the relatively rigid boundaries and markers that used to define and differentiate people. And one outcome for men is what might be called a loss of job description. In some sectors of society, these changes have been especially disturbing and have provoked a backlash an attempt to revert to more traditional ways of being men. For others, these radical changes have made room for the emergence of creativity and freedom. Some embrace the new meanings and some resist, while others are simply overwhelmed and trying to find their way. Organizations advocating for men, 
voice critiques of or support for these changes while challenging a perceived injustice men are experiencing with the emergence of a new order. In a context in which the road ahead is not well marked out, conscious engagement with beliefs, values, and expressions of masculinity becomes more necessary. Regardless of where we come out in our understandings of maleness, taking up these challenges constitutes an important opportunity. Christian beliefs and values are a significant source of meaning for many men, particularly in explicitly Christian communities and families, but also residually in society at large in North America. Certain understandings about men's roles and responsibilities, especially relative to corresponding beliefs about women, have dominated expressions of masculinity through the centuries of European settlement in North America. The lessening of influence of these dominant narratives under the barrage of critiques both external, from secular sources and other religious traditions, and internal, from, for example, Christian feminist and queer theology, has brought both resistance and embrace. A variety of organizations loosely fitting under the umbrella of Christians' men's movement have represented a reassertion of traditional positions, calling men back to real manhood. A Social Worker Therapist's Perspective Through over 25 years of practice as a social worker, I have tracked with interest a growing attention to gender justice and men's experiences of self and relationship. My undergraduate education in theology and social sciences and my graduate education in social work took place in progressive and feminist-informed settings. My faith community and family experiences were all relatively open to new understandings about the roles of men and women and included a strong egalitarian leaning. I welcome the positive values that undergird most of these developments and appreciate the implications for women and marginalized groups. At the same time, I am increasingly aware that corresponding work for healthy change for men has been lacking, and the general atmosphere of suspicion toward men has not invited us to participate in the process of change. A broad characterization of men as motivated individually and collectively by a desire to maintain their power and control by dominating women and minorities fails to adequately differentiate between universal human need in men's lives and the misguided blueprint for living that underlies men's frequently inadequate and often tragic attempts to meet those needs. The characterization of male motivation as primarily self-serving and as disregarding the humanity of others and the labeling of masculinity as toxic rely on shaming men into contrition and ultimately produce resistance to healthy change. In Becoming Ethical, Alan Jenkins puts it this way, Here we must recognize a distinction between shaming and facing shame. When a man faces shame, he comes to his own realizations through recognizing a contradiction between his ethics and his actions. By contrast, shaming others is a political act, an attempt to coerce or compel through the attribution of shame, and not surprisingly, tends to further exacerbate avoidance of responsibility. 
Our work cannot be ethical if it employs shaming practices. Our job is to provide safe passage to assist the man to discover and face the inevitable sense of shame which will accompany his own realizations about the nature and effects of his abusive practices. This approach, inviting men to own their behavior by providing a safe environment through the avoidance of shaming practices, has informed my therapeutic practice and inspired my advocacy for men. Acknowledging and nurturing men's longings for healthy selfhood while holding men accountable for their poor choices and harmful behaviors gives them the dignity of their humanity and provides opportunity for healthy change. Development of respectful relationships becomes a context for engaging in difficult discussions about the need to dismantle systems of patriarchy and assumptions of privilege. The above survey of human identity and the exploration of healthy and unhealthy manifestations of masculinity bent on fulfilling those needs provide a grounding for a compassionate response to men. The irony in my work with men is that Despite all the displays of strength and privilege in pursuit of security that have been the purview of men through the centuries, they experience great insecurities. An awareness that a significant portion of the bad behavior of men is compensation for an effort to ward off such insecurities leads us to embrace another approach to change we find fertile ground for nurturing change by empowering men through fostering healthy values for self and others and teaching tools of empathy and connecting in the context of affirming their core longings for well-being. I began this chapter by reflecting on the biblical theme of healthy human dependency on creator and with creation and by setting out the framework of human identity needs theory, which also points to our interdependence with others, with our environment, and with God. One tragic result of the traditional messages about masculinity has been that many men are unable to recognize their neediness and are adverse to expressing need. I don't need to stop and ask directions. With the result that they are isolated, suffer in silence, display reactive anger, and even resort to suicide. Our loving parent has created us for and invites us to relationship with God's self, with the creation God has so abundantly provisioned, and with each other. Responding to this invitation requires the humility that recognizes our neediness as humans, a step that is especially difficult when we are burdened by the assumptions of traditional masculinity. Believing and affirming that we are created as needful beings, we can rest in the conviction that God delights in seeing us thrive in the healthy fulfilling of our needs. We can also reject the deceiver's attempts to persuade us to pursue alternatives that bring only fleeting or precarious satisfaction of those needs. As a Christian faith community, our mission is to embody God's invitation, God's welcome. We are to reflect the character of our God, whose grace is unmerited and whose love is unconditional.
I am grateful to have been immersed all my life in the Anabaptist theological tradition, which emphasizes how God works in our lives through community, calling us to faithful discipleship and offering us peace as a path and an outcome. I believe these emphasis are particularly helpful for linking our understanding of Christian faith with our human needfulness. They are particularly suited to addressing men's experiences of need and fulfillment. Community. Where traditional ideas about masculinity lead men towards isolation and independence, community offers connectedness through belonging and inclusion within diversity, affirmation of interdependency and mutuality, a context for teaching and dialogue that inform meaning, a recognition that comes with being loved unconditionally and affirmed in the use of our gifts and a place to contribute to a larger good alongside our brothers and sisters. Discipleship. A response to God's unmerited grace rather than the attempt to achieve God's approval through merit, discipleship releases men to welcome opportunities to learn and grow in the belief that healthy fulfillment of needs is not about competition for scarce resource. Discipleship enhances meaning in men's lives, gives definition to action in the context of personal and corporate mission, makes accountability operational, and encourages living faithfully in community. Peace. In a societal context of duplicitous and inconsistent messages about the efficacy of violence, a Christian message of peace offers a consistent vision for peace as an inner gift of God through salvation that produces both the means and the end of living peaceably with our neighbors. This peaceableness rests on a radical revisioning of the nature of security, a broadening of action to include peacemaking, and an enhancement of our sense connectedness with all humanity, including our enemies. The following pages of this volume flesh out the implications of these Anabaptist faith perspectives for our lives as men and help us more fully envision what healthy masculinity looks like. Although I am under no illusion that this effort will end bad behavior by men and bring endless contentment, I do believe that it can put men in a healthier place, able to live with more joy and satisfaction, and empowered to come alongside women and oppressed peoples in undertaking the good work of bringing greater levels of justice and well-being for all.